is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello, good to be back to end the week with you on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley is my name and talking cotton today because growers in the Territory are starting to look towards the next crop. The price has been great this past season for the 22 crop harvested. The, the price got up over $900 plus per bale, which is, um, I'm not sure we've seen it that high too many times before, and it was a terrific revenue raiser for the businesses that are involved in growing cotton. Also this hour, just last week, I took you out croc egg collecting at a farm in Darwin, but there are some concerns being raised around the practice of collecting crocodile eggs in the wild. And this is where the transparency is not open enough with the traditional owners and not having the data available to pinpoint which area they've been collecting. You'll hear more about those concerns before one o'clock. Of course, today, if you'd like to get in touch, you can on the text line 0487 991057. The text line again, 0487 991057. Let's kick it off though because it's been a busy morning down at Darwin's Duck Pond with commercial fishing boats unloading their catch to get it off to southern markets in time for the holidays. Dan Fitzgerald went down to check it all out. Well, we're down here at the Duck Pond this morning. There are forklifts going everywhere. There's trucks coming in and out. There's a heap of boats in on the water and there's a lot of fish getting unloaded. I'm down here with Mike O'Brien from Australia Bay Seafoods. Uh, what's happening this morning? Oh well it's um, we're getting ready for the um, Christmas market. Friday's being that we can get all the fish into all the capital cities by Monday and it'll be cut on Monday, Tuesday so people can buy it down south for their um, Christmas table. And just how busy are things for you and your crew? Oh it, it's it's massive actually. The we. We have to put our time schedule together to, to suit the, the market. Um, so we've, the boats have all been out for two weeks now. They've, they've come in and we'll um, unload maybe about 65 tonne of wet fish to um, go in the Darwin local market and also to the um, southern markets. What sort of fish is being unloaded today? Okay, we, we, we target mainly um, red snapper, which is which is um, saddle tail and crimson snapper. That's probably 85% of our catch. So um, that, that goes into the um, majority of it during the year, goes into the supermarkets all over Australia. Um, and it's, it's local, so it's, it's, it's good, it's fresh, and um, it's a great product. And what are you hearing about Christmas demand this year? Well, it's, 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 always, it's always difficult at Christmas for, for fish because people tend to swing towards prawns, bugs, crayfish, all those things that they don't have a lot of during the year. So we find the fish markets slow down uh, towards Christmas, but we, um, we, we work hard to get as much fresh seafood on the market as possible for Christmas. And then also our next big one will be next Friday we'll unload for the new year is the fish will get into into all the capitals for the new year so we work 52 weeks of the year we don't stop and we keep putting fresh fish on people's tables so this boat is about to go back out again for that new year's catch yeah we, we've got two in today so they'll, they'll go straight back out it's um about eight o'clock tonight and um they'll actually spend christmas at sea these guys these two boats 
we um, we put together Christmas hampers and all those sorts of things so that they um, get to have a Christmas lunch and all those sorts of things. So that's good. And then we have another boat out there who will come in next Friday, which is the end of his two-week trip. So we, we plan it to happen this way so that um, we maximise that Christmas period. And how has the fishing been? Uh, fishing's been tough this year. It's, uh, again, we're, we're following on from COVID. We're, we're, fuel prices have, have been just about brought us to our knees they've come down a little bit again now but um they're, they're still up there they're, they're, they're double and tripling our um our running costs just on fuel alone um and and sadly um fresh fish is is we we're price takers not price setters and um so we haven't been able to re- pass on the cost of um of fuel and and the cost of freight and all those sorts of issues so been a tough year that way also been a tough year on um, uncertainty with our fishing rights. That's that's a, that's another big thing that's put in a lot of pressure on the industry. Um, that that we sadly are seeing this year, and we will see for the next few years. But otherwise, um, fishing's good. There's we've we've um, we're sustainable, which is the, is always the best thing as a fisherman that we aim to strive for, and. Um, we look forward to the new year and hopefully the price of fuel, like everybody else, will see come down. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, with the price of fuel so high, have you had to change your operations at all this year? Yeah, we have, yeah. We, we've, we've slowed down our, our fishing during the night when things get a little bit um, slower. We, we pull our revs back. We, I, I think we've, we've, cut, we've cut out about 5,000 litres of fuel on a trip now by, by doing all these little things not steaming flat chat so yeah we we have had to adjust so um but the skippers are really good and um, understand the situation and a lot of industries around australia having trouble accessing workers and finding enough people to get the job done how's your company gone in terms of getting crew yeah that's that's uh, i used to be i used to have brown hair i now have gray so the um yeah no crewing's been a real major issue for the whole industry across australia Fortunately, um, we we have a, a, a strong um, contingency of, of Indonesian guys that, that work for us and have for 10, 12 years um, now. So we've been able. The government has sped up the applications for bringing in visaed fishermen from Indonesia, and which has helped us a lot. So we we are just about back up to full strength, but um, in in many many industries and, and even in Darwin. There's lots of people that are, are running short crude. Yeah. Well, yeah, busy times ahead. I'd better let you get back on the forklift. Thanks for having a chat for the country hour. No worries at all. Thanks very much. We just boarded the boat here and we're in amongst all the fish that are being packed into boxes and we're here with Buddy. Uh, g'day, how are you going? What's, what's happening here today? Uh, we're just uh, doing packing uh, fish in the tank. You know, been uh, been doing uh, great uh, fishing. You know, yeah, we have this nice uh, red fish for maybe ready for Christmas day. You know, and been uh, very good anyway. And how are the fish looking that you're putting in the boxes here? How are they looking? Yes, it's very good. This is uh, very fresh. Uh, you can see, you can tell from here. You know, the the fish uh, from the guide. That's red. Yep. This is tell uh, very fresh, and I think will be very good in the market. Uh, normally, uh, from a northern territory, for freshness, uh, lasts longer. Yep. 
and how have uh, how has fishing been out on the water for the last couple of weeks? Uh, very good, very good. Uh, weather been very awesome. You know, nice flat column, so yeah, they have uh, time uh, fun you know, to get uh, fish and been uh, very good, like three and a half ton a day, some uh, good day we have four or five ton. Yeah, been very good. And it sounds like there's no rest for you, you're heading back out at eight o'clock tonight. Yeah, yeah, because uh, some reason uh, the tide, so we cannot, we cannot, uh, you know, stay the last longer because we have to keep working, keep working making some good stuff for Christmas anyway. <laughs> and it sounds like you'll be spending Christmas on the boat. What's that look like? Uh, I've been uh, doing uh, nearly every, every, every year's Christmas on the boat. On the Christmas day, maybe just stop one hour, you know, to get uh, some barbecue and then get fun a little bit to make everyone happy. And then if uh, weather is nice, calm, we've been doing good anyway. <laughs> And now you're originally from Indonesia. Yep. Uh, tell us about how you came to be skipper of a boat here. Uh, I came first time in uh, Australia in 2005 to become deckhand here. And then after five years, this company support me uh, doing a school in Darwin. And then finally I get ticket after 10 years experience and then uh, company give me chance to drive the boat. Yeah. And how does it feel now that you're the skipper? Uh, in the first year, it's very nervous, you know, because uh, we're catching uh, fish uh, swimming, you know, we have to hunting, maybe I'm not, I'm not catching and become uh, not really good skipper, you know, and nervous, but after, after doing one year and then we found some experience and uh, some spot where we're fishing and then, yeah, finally I did. <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, I hope you have a good Christmas out on a boat and catching lots of fish. Thanks for having a chat. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, happy Christmas to you to all. That's Buddy. He's a skipper of a boat with Australia Bay Seafoods and was speaking with Dan Fitzgerald just this morning as they were unloading at the uh, duck pond down in Darwin, trying to get the catch off to southern markets in time for your Christmas feast. It's 20 to 1 on the Country Hour. Let's have some music from Stephen Pigram. This is Crocodile River. That is Stephen Pigram, Crocodile River, and we will be chatting about crocs very, very shortly today. It is 16 to 1. Hello, my name is Salaudi Botongoleoi, and I am from Crocodile Island Rangers, one of the women coordinators, and you are listening to the Country Hour. Yeah, Michelle Stanley with you. Good to have you along today. That text line, if you'd like to get in touch, 0487 99 1057. I wonder whether you've been enjoying some mangoes this season. A bit late in the territory, but the prices have been pretty low. As the Catherine region's mango season has started to wind down and track off the truck off the last of its fruit, the prices farmers have been receiving have really started to slide. An overlap in the season with North Queensland has seen lots of mangoes on the market pushing down prices. Christopher Cope is the Principal Surveyor for Fruit and Vegetables in the Sydney markets and he also runs a market reporting service. He says there's a lot of fruit hitting the shelves all at once. We've now finished Darwin. They got into a big problem because they had a lot of rain and uh, there's a lot of breakdown in them. 
The fruit was had lacked colour, flavour, appearance this year. And now we've gone in, we're just about at the end of the Catherine market now. They've had a bit of rain, but their quality is a, a lot better than what uh, Darwin's and the Darwin district was. Kununurra had a little bit of uh, rain, as, a fair bit of rain as well, I, I hear. And I, I haven't seen a lot of their fruit, but it's on a par with uh, Catherine. Uh, they got good money on Catherine fruit. Um, up until about two weeks ago, and then the market started to drift south. And then this week, week before, we started the arrival of Kensington Prines out of uh, Mundubber in Queensland, and they're the best quality. They've got the best quality now, and the market's about to really the next next week, this the end of this week, next week the market will come back and price again as uh, the market's flooded with quality. So is it common for these markets in sort of the northwest and the northeast of the country to all come online at the same time? No, they generally follow one another. Um, generally, there's a gap between Catherine and uh, Mariba and the coastal Queensland fruit. But this year there wasn't. There's been an overlap in all of them. Catherine's overlapped with um, Darwin and, and they've also overlapped with Queensland. And, of course, in amongst that, there's been an overlap of, of uh, fruit from the northwest. How low are prices getting, and have you seen them get this low before? Oh, yeah. In, in past years, we've seen it all. But this year is, is probably one of the worst years we've seen it for a while for that Darwin fruit at the end. Um, you're talking about a dollar a tray. I mean, that doesn't cover the cost of the package or the transport separately or the packing or the merchants in, in storage or anything else. The dollar's nothing. I mean, it costs them about $16 to land fruit on the market these days from, from the Northern Territory. So... That's 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 a lot of money. You've, you've got to get – you really need $20 and more to, to make some money. So forget about Darwin. Forget Darwin. They're finished. The Catherine now is still going. There's still stuff going through the chain stores. There's been a lot of it, and it's been actually reasonably good quality, and they've been selling it at, at good prices, and they've been getting good good money for it. Uh, they were getting up to 30 and $36 at one stage. That's come right back now for the, for the Kensingtons, and they're, they're getting really around $20, $24. Are there any varieties that are faring worse than others when it comes to price? Yes. R2E2s. There were a lot of R2E2s on the market this year. A lot came out of Darwin. A lot came out of Catherine. There's a lot of Catherine stuff. And once they were going really well, they were were getting good money. They were getting up to $30 for a premium pack. And then once Queensland started from the Bowen area, the market just went belly up and it went, you know, back to top of about $20 and mainly around 16 And that's basically where it's been. It's been 10 to 16 Anything that's off the top that's got a bit of disease in it, anything with staining in it, like uh, sap burn, sap stains, anthracnose, stem in rot, it's, it's catch and kill on price. It's whatever you, they offer you that you think's reasonable. So these low prices, obviously bad news for producers, but good news for consumers as yeah. we come into the Christmas period. What's demand as, like? Catherine, as Catherine finishes, and the next week, as I said, the prices are going to come back. But as we lead into Christmas, the prices will lift again. There are a number of things in the mangoes industry's favour this year. Even though it's, it's everyone talks doom and gloom about the high prices of production, the high price of diesel and transport and labour and everything else, all the inputs to produce the crop, but so have all the other products and cherries and nectarines and peaches and apricots. They've been smashed by weather conditions down here in the south. Um, there's been hailstorms. They haven't had enough uh, sunlight. So the cherries and, and, and nectarines and peaches have been very expensive. Anything that's good is worth huge money. 
and with not much stone for it, with it being so expensive, mangoes are going to sell because they're eating well and there's going to be a lot of them. But as we get into the week before Christmas, the price will lift again. What it'll lift to, I don't know, but it'll it'll lift up from from it'll lift up five five six ten dollars. Senior Inspector at Sydney Market, Christopher Cope. He was speaking there with Steph Sinclair. It's ten to one. A fatal helicopter crash in the Northern Territory that killed a cast member of a popular Netflix show has ignited a debate around the practice of collecting crocodile eggs. Traditional owners and a local mayor are calling for more transparency about where companies are collecting the eggs from and how many are being taken. Jane Barden explains. When Archbike Wrangler cast member Chris Willow Wilson died in a helicopter crash in Western Arnhemland in February, he'd been helping collect crocodile eggs for farms growing the hatchlings for the NT's successful croc leather industry. But there's mixed support for the croc egg harvesting among some traditional owners, including Eddie Mason. If outsiders can come in and get the egg, they should consult us more first or take one of the elders to go to this country and see how many eggs you collect from this country. Traditional owners receive payments for allowing private companies to collect crocodile eggs through Indigenous land access deals administered by the Northern Land Council. For some, the system is lucrative and works well. But Eddie Mason says his family members haven't received the money they expected and he feels there isn't enough transparency about how many eggs companies are collecting and from where. When they went collecting out there, they haven't come back to us. I'm sure the companies would say they do get the proper permissions before they go out. But I mean, do you just worry really that they haven't consulted everybody that should be consulted? All of the station mob, they never got consulted when they was going to go around and get these crocodile eggs and tell us how much royalty these people was going to get. The West Arnhem Mayor Matthew Ryan says it's hard to keep track because companies appear to be subleasing their agreements to other contractors. And this is where the transparency not open enough with the traditional owners and not having the data available to pinpoint which area they've been collecting. What would you like the Land Council to do about that? The Land Council need to make sure that the agreement, what they put in place with the traditional owners are met rather than you know undermine the decision making when you subleasing to another party. Some indigenous rangers, including Western Arnhem Land Bawanunga Jelk Ranger Greg Wilson, often work with the private companies. I jump in the helicopter and then they sling me in and then straight up to a nest. They dropped me there and I collect egg really quick. You must have been really very careful watching out all the time for the mother crocodile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carom stick, paddle stick. Oh, just really quiet when just go collect them really quiet. He wants the collections to continue to try to curb croc numbers. Too many crocodiles right now in the boardroom. The Northern Land Council has told the ABC it's now monitoring a number of the crocodile egg harvesting agreements, but won't comment further at this time. Jane Barden with that story. It's seven to one. 
South Africa, renowned for its beautiful scenery, wild animals, and outstanding fielding side. And Australia, famous for its stunning beaches, red sandy deserts, tropical rainforests, aggressive batsmen, and fierce fast bowlers. The cricket is set to go wild in December and January. Join ABC Sports coverage from Saturday. Australia and South Africa on ABC Radio, ABC Sport Digital and the ABC Listen app. Hi, this is Robbie White. I'm the head stockman at Koala Station. We're just here today doing some cutter work and some work in the shed today, getting ready to do some fencing and you are listening to The Country Hour. Yes, you are. Michelle Stanley is my name and I'm the topic of cattle after a record year for cattle prices, the market is ending the year on a relatively low mark, with the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator sitting at 901 cents per kilogram. And this could be the sign of things to come, according to Auctions Plus Chief Economist Tim McRae. He says at the moment there are some interesting market dynamics playing out. Yeah, look, yeah, in the last four to six weeks it's dropped from four figures down to a low of 8.55 um, as of yesterday the young cattle indicator was just back up above 900 cents really interesting market dynamics at the moment in that from how we see it is that we have sellers who are wanting to sell to particularly cash flow and income reasons but you also have a very large pool of buyers who in a falling market are quite happy just to wait and see where the market goes um, you know, but but still pretty keen to be able to buy some some young cattle for uh, what, for most parts, looks like a um, a lot of summer feed out there. Is that sort of falling and the steadying of the market, I suppose, due to as well the herd rebuild being over now? Yeah, look, exactly. You know, um, you know the rebuild is over, and we're now into an expansion phase. Um, you know, the herd would now be bigger than average over the last. 30 years and you know when you look at it over the last two to three years the growth there there's more cattle on the ground producers across the board have a less desire to purchase more stock because they have you know more of their own in their paddocks and you know that that 10 to 20 percent decline in in that demand really has a a larger impact on the price falls um just because they've they've built up their numbers they're they're happy with what they're carrying and um yeah takes a lot of the edge off the the real high prices we've seen so looking into 2023, what do you think the cattle market's going to do over the next 12 months? Look, our forecasts are for the cattle market to fall 10 to 15% over the next 12 months. Now, if the last few years anything to go by, it'll be a, there'll be a, a few up and downs through that path, but I think the long-term trend is for it to edge lower. Um, and when we look at the, you know, if we're looking at an EYCI below 800 cents by 12 months' time, historically, that's still a a good to reasonable price um, and it really does show just how high prices got particularly in the last 12 months they were unsustainable driven by the the sort of feedback loop of good seasons and, and high prices and, and the real edges going out of that at the moment as the cattle herd gets gets bigger what about our, our processing sector does that need to ramp up to ensure that the market can keep steady yeah, look, I think there's a real big question mark and I think one of the real interesting things to watch over the next period and it'll have a huge impact on the profitability of producers is just how the processing sector can handle what will be a lot of cattle coming at them at some stage over the next 12 months. Um, you know, if they're able to get the labour, 
uh, and they're able to get the well energy prices. There's a lot of factors that impact have been impacting that sector over the last few years. Um, they're going to have a lot of cattle coming at them, and there's always that bottleneck there that uh, could have a big determinant on just where prices go, particularly for finished cattle later in the year as more supplies come online. And what kind of opportunities are you expecting to come up over the next sort of 12 months when it comes to the export market? I know we've been talking a lot about what the drought in the US means for goat prices and, and cattle prices link into that, do they not? Yeah, look, I think there's the, the huge sleeper in the market, if you like, is what's going on in the US. It is a huge imported beef market and is a very good customer of Australia's for decades. But that's all great. But, you know, for the poor US cattle producer who's been suffering through drought, that drought still needs to break. I mean, it's a situation a lot of Australian cattle producers are familiar with. It's got to rain, grass has got to grow, then they can start to rebuild their herd. Um, to when that happens, you know, is I think that'll happen the another 12 months um, and we'll start to see that demand for Australian beef pick up but it still has to happen and I think that's one of the real positive demand factors that's there but when the actual impact of that kicks in is is a bit of a guess for for all the analysts out there. And when we're talking about a drop in the Australian cattle market of around that 10 to 15 percent over the next 12 months is it going to impact any type of cattle more than the others? Are feedlotters going to be worse off than, than grass-fed or the other way around? No, I think I think particularly the cow-calf producer who's had a pretty good run over the last three years of really, you know, light cattle, weaner cattle have been really red hot. You know, I think they see their prices come back, um, have already started to see their prices come back, but I think that decline is sustained. I think, you know, when we look at the feedlot sector and, you know, finished cattle you know again we're back to that point of what do the processes do what is their capacity to process animals if we start to see a backlog of finished cattle that could see a you know a, a price impact that is significant um you know but that backlog can be worked through if the again if the processes can you know really get up to speed um you know we still look at those factors and look at export markets that you know we're pretty positive that beef will find markets um but it's you know can it get through that bottleneck Tim McRae, he's the Chief Economist with Auctions Plus and was speaking with Alice Marshall. Uh, The market ending the year with a slight fall, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator sitting at 901 cents per kilogram. Still not too bad overall. It is uh, coming up to the one o'clock news. After that, we're going to talk about the cotton industry And I'll also take you to the Special Olympics for a really beautiful story around an equestrian event. Stick around for that on the Country Hour. It's news time now. It's one o'clock. My name's Ashley from Bam Bam Springs Station. I'm Jacqueline Dakin from Anthony Lagoon. I'm Georgie from Catherine. And you're listening to the Country Hour. <laughs> Hello. Good to have you along today. Michelle Stanley with you for the program until half past one. And in this next half hour, it's just a few years on from the ban on cotton in the NT was lifted. Next year's crop is set to be the biggest yet, and there are plenty of people excited at the thought of that. The price has been great this past season for the 22 crop. Harvested, the, the price got up over $900 plus per bale, which is, um, I'm not sure we've seen it that high too many times before, and it was a terrific revenue raiser for the businesses that are involved in growing cotton. 
Not everyone is thrilled about it, though. You'll hear more on that very shortly. It's six past one. Let's take a look at the weather now. Rebecca Patrick is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology. Rebecca, how are things looking across the top end today? Yeah, good afternoon, Michelle. Um, So today um, we're seeing some storms developing fairly early across the Gregory District, um, down across the Victoria River area at the moment so um, expecting to get a bit of rainfall out of those um, in the next few hours. Um, We've also got a cloud band across the southwest of the Territory um, which is dropping maybe a little bit of light rain um, but starting to see some thunderstorm activity in the far southwest as well kind of um, southwest of Ilara um, at the moment that might come a little bit further um, across um, and just uh, just seeing the um, the start of a few showers starting to develop across the top end as well um, so we should see some more thunderstorms developing out of that uh, during the afternoon. Around how much has fallen in the last 24 hours do you think? Yeah so um, to 9am um, our highest rainfall was at Cape Wessel, which is right at the far northeast tip of um, of Arnhem Land, um, 61 millimetres. And the next after that was 32 millimetres at Walker Creek in, in Litchfield. So a bit of a gap in between those. Um, but yeah, probably quite a few places in that um, 10 to 25 millimetre range across the top end. Um, did see a little bit of rainfall in the south as well, Ulara, um with 9.4 millimetres, so that's um, some reasonable rainfall for down there. Um, they had some storm activity around late yesterday, um, so yeah, probably a bit more indicative of when um, we get some storms, there might be a little bit more rainfall in it, but otherwise fairly light um, rainfall expected through those parts. Um, and yeah, Pearl and Gympie's already picked up nearly 14 millimetres on the Tiwi Islands um, since 9am this morning. So um, just getting up a little bit there. And you said that there's a bit of rainfall kind of around at the moment. Uh, we are just a week out from Christmas. What are the chances of a, a monsoon arriving for the big day? Yeah, we are keeping a close eye on things um, because uh, we are potentially entering into a more favourable period as we get in towards the uh, end of December. Um, It looks like there will be a monsoon trough developing to our north through the Arafura Sea during the week um, with the potential that it might drift a little bit closer to the, um, the north coast of the top end. Um, so towards the end of next week, um, we could see an increase in that shower and storm activity in, in northern parts of the top end. Um, it's still a little bit uncertain whether we'll get a, a true monsoon coming through, but it's certainly um, something that we're keeping a, a close eye on at the moment. Okay, we'll have to wait and see. And I noticed as well, Rebecca, there's still a heat wave warning in place um, for some parts of the east. How much longer is that going to stick around? Yeah, the good news there is that 
that is on an easing trend um, across the weekend. So, um, yeah, the eastern Arnhem district has seen some some pretty warm temperatures. I haven't seen a lot of rainfall, although they um, the northern coastal areas did see a bit of thunderstorm activity yesterday, but further inland there hasn't been too much at all. Um, but across the weekend, um, particularly Sunday, we are expecting um, more shower and storm activity to spread eastwards across the top end. So that should help to um, ease some of those temperatures. So we are expecting that that heat wave to be easing um, by next week. Very good. And the um, Central Australia, how is that going to, to fare over the next, I guess, over the weekend? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we're focusing more on the, the western um, districts uh, res- expected to receive most of the shower and storm activity um, today and, and tomorrow. Um it is expected to extend eastwards during the weekend, so um, parts of the western Berkeley have a chance of of seeing something um, on the weekend um, and extending into the, the Simpson district as well um, with the potential for storms moving further eastwards. So, um, yeah, actually should also mention that there is a risk of um, severe thunderstorms so potentially um, with some damaging wind gusts um, moving across the the Lasseter district and through the western parts of the um, the Tanami and the Gregory district as well um, with yeah damaging winds potential and um, also potentially some heavier rainfall totals in the northern areas um, and and near the, the southwestern border areas as well with any thunderstorms. So just be mindful of that as well. And for people looking to get out in the boat this weekend, how are the coastal waters looking? Yeah, fairly light winds across the, the coastal waters. Um, for Darwin Harbour, we're looking at, it's mainly northwesterly winds, about 10 knots, and that's expected to continue across the weekend. Um, and that's fairly similar across most of our coastal waters. The western and the northern areas are, are all sort of below that 10 knot range. Um, might get up to um, 10 to 15 knots potentially in the southern Gulf of Carpentaria. Um, during the weekend though but yeah otherwise pretty light winds thank you very much for that rebecca we'll catch you next week no worries thanks michelle rebecca patrick is the duty forecaster at the bureau of meteorology today it is 12 past one the country hour on abc radio darwin and the northern territory As the wet season rains start to put moisture back into top-end soils, cotton growers are busy getting their next crop in the ground. The 2023 cotton crop is set to be the NT's biggest yet, with around 15,000 hectares to be planted. And while many in the ag sector see cotton as the next big crop for the north... Not everyone is happy with the new industry. Roxanne Fitzgerald has this report. The cattle industry has been the cornerstone of agriculture in the Northern Territory for years. Then about five years ago, a ban was lifted on cotton. In 2019, Bruce Connolly was at the helm of harvesting the Territory's first commercial cotton trial in almost a decade. That year at Tipperary Station, south of Darwin, just 50 hectares were picked and baled. Once I experienced a couple of northern wet seasons, I realised that dryland cotton was going to be a very good, a very big player. Bruce is the farm manager of Tipperary and the president of the Northern Cotton Growers Association. 
He says there's no better crop to be planting in northern Australia right now on a broad acre scale. The price has been great this past season for the 22 crop harvested. The, the price got up over $900 plus per bale, which is, um, I'm not sure we've seen it that high too many times before, and it was a terrific revenue raiser for the businesses that are involved in growing cotton. Traditionally, it's, it's down closer to that 500 550 600 Cotton is certainly a, a, a very, um, very high return crop. I think if you're talking about 1,000 or 2,000 hectares of a broad acre crop, then I think cotton is the king. But according to Paul Burke, who's the chief executive of the NT Farmers Association, the success wasn't distributed equally across the Territory. So the crop last year was very successful in, for the better part across the region. We did struggle as you move further south where rainfall, whilst it was an average wet season, rain, rainfall was very patchy and we had parts of the season where we got no rainfall and then we got significant rain events so we did struggle in the southern regions but but anywhere sort of north of Catherine we had an exceptionally good year. The industry as a whole produced yields of around two to seven bales of cotton per hectare using mostly a rain-fed system which relies not on irrigation but on monsoon downpours. In past years southern growers have averaged between 10 and 15 bales per hectare using an irrigation system. Just a few years in the cotton industry is already doubling in size, going from around 8,000 hectares farmed to 15,000. So it will be from probably 100 kilometres south of Catherine through to somewhere around the Adelaide River region will, will be the, the geographic spread, but that spread will go from the West Australian border to the Queensland border. So um, if you were looking at it on a map, you wouldn't be able to get a map at scale to actually see where the development is. It would be like a pinprick. The planting season is getting underway now, during the wet season, to minimise reliance on irrigation. We need to keep it in perspective that, that the crop may be doubling this year, but it will be incremental growth from, from there on. The level of interest in North Australia certainly says that, that, that what we've done is right and, and, and what the process we're going through of starting small and growing big has generated significant in interest amongst all of industry. We've had investment from people coming from the southern states that are more traditionally known for cotton growing because of the results we've got and I think we are in a unique position where we ha we're actually starting fr from a pretty blank canvas so we can ensure that we haven't, don't make the mistakes that other regions have made and I think you know when we talk about scale, the scale we're talking about here is, is pretty minute given the size of the Northern Territory. You know, if we got to 50,000 hectares of, of, of broadacre cotton by 2032, I would be, you know, th that, that would be as big as I think we'll get. Since the crop's popularity started rising in Northern Australia, it's been divisive, with some sections of the community worried about the steady supply of water crucial to production. They're worried about chemicals and how land clearing could impact the climate, sacred sites and endangered animals. But Paul says initial indications that the industry would consist of 80% rain-fed crops and 20% irrigated have been reassessed. The, the production system we use here in the Northern Territory is predominantly a rain-fed system where we don't use any irrigation water and that's proven very successful. So we think that the initial um, statistics around the industry of being 80% rain-fed, 20% irrigated it's probably at the moment more realistic that it's sitting at 90, 95% rain-fed, 5% irrigated. But we think in time people will start to migrate to 
a rain-fed model with a small supplementary irrigated crop sitting beside it. Australian farmers more generally are geniuses. They uh, manage to grow things where most people couldn't. And I think that in North Australia, our comparative advantage is our rainfall. So planting cotton on those first monsoonal events means that we don't need to water the cotton. So I think, you know, the, the, the genius in that is, is, is our climate. And we're actually working with our climate as opposed to against it. For Maddie Shield, a Malak Malak traditional owner in the Nyu region, which is prime cotton-growing country, tensions are rising, and so are concerns in his community. And like we've been always left in the dark all the time, us traditional owners, you know, um, then it'll damage the countryside. So you know, like the place that we used to go hunting with, and where my grandmothers and my family grew up from, you know, like the old people, you know, grew up from. So yeah, and like well, we don't want to see cotton on the sites and like where the country is, you know, because then it'll damage everything, you know. And Matty Shields, a Malak Malak traditional owner working with the Northern Land Council. He was ending that report by Roxanne Fitzgerald. And if you want to read more on that story, just jump online. You can search for ABC News. It's 19 past one. G'day, I'm Angus Gidley-Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank and you're listening to The Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. 19 past one. Now, at least nine people across Sydney have fallen sick due to contaminated spinach. Dan Fitzgerald is with you. Dan, what's gone wrong? Yeah, Michelle, so people from four separate households have all fallen ill and it is believed to be due to eating this packaged spinach from a brand called Riviera Farms sold through Costco. The grower believes the spinach may have been contaminated with the poisonous thorn apple weed, but there is some testing still underway to confirm that. Uh, New South Wales Health, it said the product was not safe to consume and that people should throw it out. Uh, As far as we know, it shouldn't affect any consumers here in the Northern Territory. Uh, Emma Germano, who's the president of the Victorian Farmers Federation, says she spoke with the grower this morning and they're horrified about this contamination. This is kind of the worst nightmare um, for a grower to to have um, some kind of food safety recall that you need to do on your farm. But I would say that it, you know, it's very much a demonstration of how the food safety uh, processes that put in place actually work. So the grower's been notified and now just working through the process of elimination to work out exactly uh, what the contaminant is. And the grower suspects that it was a weed? Yeah, the grower, because you're able to identify exactly where um, a particular product comes uh, from in your paddocks, they've gone back to where that the, the batch that has created the issues uh, was picked from and they've identified a, a weed that is in, you know, at larger numbers than what they would ordinarily expect um, and that's on the back of, you know, these weather conditions that we've been having. They've never had that particular issue before but they do suspect at this point in time that it's a weed that's, um, that's caused the problems. Having said that, they've of course got to go through the whole process of elimination because it may not be what they suspect it is and all of that testing is occurring at the moment. That is Emma Germano. She's the president of the Victorian Farmers Federation speaking there with Angus Verley. So what kind of side effects have the people who have gotten sick been reporting? Well, they they sound pretty nasty, Michelle. Uh, Some of the symptoms reported uh, include hallucinations, Mm. delirium, rapid heartbeat and even blurred vision. Uh, New South Wales Health, it says anyone who's experienced any unusual and severe symptoms like that after eating spinach to seek immediate medical attention. 
But the message from people in the ag industry like Emma Germano from the Victorian Farmers Federation says it's uh, not to stop buying spinach or other leafy greens because food safety systems have pretty quickly identified where this issue was and it's in some uh, a pretty small amount of spinach and they don't expect it to be any wider. Right, and so that is New South Wales. People in the Territory shouldn't be... Shouldn't be concerned. Yeah, it's not to believe to be sold here in the Territory, um, but there's yeah, there's more information about the, all this up on the ABC News website. Yeah, worth a read. Thanks for that, Dan. It's 22 past one. Let's have some music from Kenny Chesney now. A bit of a country Christmas song. It's Christmas in Blue Chair Bay. That is Kenny Chesney. Christmas in Blue Chair Bay. It's 25 past one. The Country Hour. On ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. An equestrian rider from central Queensland has jumped in the saddle with her goal to compete on the international stage. Megan Hughes has this story. Over your shoulder, that's going to help you put your body in the right position to have a nice correct turn. It's nine in the morning and the Queensland summer sun is already beating down. That's not stopping Shelby Davis-Hill from putting this horse through its paces. OK, let's see if we can ask you to move behind quarters. The 23-year-old from Gracemere started riding as a toddler and is now training to compete in the Special Olympic World Games. I started at riding for disabled at the age of two and a half years and we used it for therapy to help my muscles. I enjoyed it and... Then my dream was to go to the Olympics. I was choosing on what sport to go and then coach came up from Queensland and seen me ride and approached mum and dad to see if I would like to become or go down and try out for the Special Olympics and yeah. Shelby has represented Australia at the Special Olympics before competing and taking home a medal in Abu Dhabi in 2019. When I went over to Abu Dhabi, I won a fourth in trail, fifth in equitation and a second in dressage. Her mum, Sandra Davis-Hill, says it was an incredible moment. It was interesting because she had to travel with the team, so it was like that separation of letting her go off to Abu Dhabi out of, you know, away from us. And we travelled as a family to go over and watch, and it was, it was amazing to see all the athletes. We had four equestrians from Queensland travel over, which was wonderful. And to see her win a silver medal, God, you must have just been so proud. Absolutely, because the horses that they ride over there are so different to the horses that they ride here. They're, there's no grass, so they're like fed and they're just really goy. And I don't think a lot of them had seen a trail ride before or the pole, so they were very scared and skitzy. And just to see Shelby go out there and, and pick a horse that she was only allowed to have one ride on and say, yep, this is my horse, and then come home with the silver was amazing. The Special Olympics is a year-round multi-sports program for people with an intellectual disability. And as part of it is a World Games, which is hosted on a four-year cycle with summer and winter sports. Shelby has been on the Queensland team since 2013. And after missing out on a spot at the 2023 World Games in Berlin, now Shelby is gearing up and hitting the ring for the next round of competitions. I do dressage, I do equitation and I do trail. What's your favourite? Uh, dressage. 
So tell me about your training for the next Special Olympics. What sort of things are you doing? I just work on my uh, turning, my diagonals, my 20-metre circles, 10-metre circles, because, like, you don't know if there's going to be all different types of circles. So you just want to get great accuracy in, like, your riding. Taya Bell is a riding coach at Four Mile Farm where Shelby trains and the pair started working together earlier this year. Ms Bell explains what their training is focusing on. So we practice what she'll encounter in her dressage tests and her working equitation and trail. So we're working on our accuracy, um, positioning the horse, how to adapt to different types of horses. Because in the Special Olympics you don't really know which horse you're going to have. So we like to practice on a wide variety of what we have available. So when Shelby encounters a different horse, she's more than capable of like, adapting to that horse. Shelby has her sights set on the state championships next year, which if she gets through would lead her to the national championships and then potentially the World Games. That story from Megan Hughes. Now that is it for From the Country Hour team this week. On Monday, a little bit different. I'll catch you in the tea break at the crickets or around 12 noon. But of course, business as usual on the podcast and online if you stream online as well. Have a lovely weekend. I'll catch you Monday. It's 1.30.